are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Turning the corner, well, the much-anticipated full approval from the FDA finally handed down this morning for Pfizer-BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine. It comes as college students headed back to public and private university campuses across the state this morning. University of Hawaii Manoa Provost uh, Michael Bruno joins us live. Good morning, Michael. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today. Good morning, Catherine. Good to be with you. So what can you tell us? I mean, I know uh, coming in to work, I saw some extra traffic on the roads, but what's the report back? Because not everybody's face-to-face, right? No, not everybody's face-to-face. We we had planned, even only a few weeks ago, for about 60% in person. That number's back down uh, to around 50% or so with with uh, a number of our faculty just out of an abundance of course caution uh, starting their courses online uh, with the hope that they will uh, pivot back to in-person as the semester goes on. And with the decision handed down today by the FDA, you know, how does that affect, uh, you know, what you've got planned for the fall semester? Well, you know what, to the extent that what is happening out in the community affects our work here, um, I'm hoping it has a very positive impact in the sense of encouraging uh, many more people to get vaccinated. Here on campus, uh, we are, by all of our surveys and uh, a variety of other um, uh, data sources, um, indicate that we, we are well over 90% vaccinated on the part of both our students and our employees. So our campuses are among the safest places to be, I believe, in the state. Now, you had organized a number of uh I think clinics, right, for testing and uh, and shots. Yes, we had a uh, a vaccine clinic uh, about a week ago, and on this past Saturday, we had a testing clinic set up uh, with about 500 or so tests available. And uh, what was the response? Uh, the response to both um, were, was very, very strong. Um, in particular, I was very pleased with the uh, the turnout on the vaccine clinic. Um, you know, a number of our international students arrived with either one shot or no shot, and they, they need to be in quarantine uh, when they arrive. Uh, so for many of them, this was their first chance to get vaccinated, and they all showed up. Uh, so that was that was very heartening. And you have had a couple of uh, positive cases. Uh, talk to us about how you're handling, uh, you know, the quarantine situation. Yes. Well, there are different protocols for a vaccinated person um, and uh, who comes in close contact, or a an unvaccinated person. Um, if a if a if a person is unvaccinated, they are required to have at least one test every seven days. Uh, That's a PCR test, the most rigorous and accurate test. And uh, in the case of an unvaccinated person, if if, uh, that person tests positive, they are required to go to isolation. Uh, As we have for the past year, we have reserved hotel rooms uh, um, off-site and Unfortunately, that that person, that student, would have to be isolated for a couple of weeks. Okay, but you do have available rooms in Waikiki, even with all the tourists? <laughs> yes, we do. We have partners who have stayed with us, so we're, we're pleased about that. And on the mainland, there are some universities that were uh, testing the wastewater, uh, you know, in their uh, in their uh, sis, uh, you know campus systems uh, to help detect you know any activity, uh, but I'm not sure if uh, we've got anything like that in place here. Yes, actually, we were doing that at Manoa um, for uh, the last couple of semesters, uh, working with some faculty from our. College of Engineering. Um, However, um, our health and wellness team, which has been advising us uh, for the entire pandemic, uh, they believe uh, upon review of our records, incoming students, around 97% of the students residing in our residence halls are vaccinated. And the remaining students who have exemptions are required to undergo weekly testing. So our, our team believes that 
that combination, the requirement for masks, um, really means that there's not not a whole lot more um, uh, information, beneficial information is going to come to us via the surveillance of wastewater. And then how are you, you know, handling the uh, spike in enrollment, you know, and the uh, your ability to uh, have on-campus housing? Well, you know, that's a problem we really like having, and I'm glad you asked, you asked that question. We are welcoming the record number of first-year students at Manoa since 1907. This wow. is the largest freshman class ever, so we're really excited about that. Um, we had a record number of applications. Of course, it, uh, it on the other side, produces challenges, in particular, having enough faculty to teach the number of sections that we're going to need to provide, especially for those first-year students. But um, on my office, I've been working closely with the deans in each of our colleges and schools, and they are they are hiring additional lecturers in some cases. In many other cases, our faculty are stepping up to to offer additional uh, courses and teach additional sections. So, uh, so far, so good. We have the classrooms. We have the ability, obviously, online. And, the, you know, that ability, the additional capacity that online learning offers us uh, is really a strong a strong tool for us to to take care of these additional students. Do you think it's uh, just the students that maybe might have gone to the mainland uh, and have opted just to stay home? No, you know what? It really is not. Um, a year ago, we saw that that was the case. This year, we have an increase of almost 12% in Hawaii resident uh, first-year students, but our non-resident students is up nearly 60%. Wow. And our international students are up 110%. So um, it's both resident and non-resident and, and international. And that, you know, it's such a strong message on on how we're doing and how the reputation of the university has continued to rise uh, because this is not at all a national trend. We are totally bucking the national trend. And what about housing, the, the dorm space? Um, so we still have a, uh, a waiting list. The waiting list is, is quite small now. Um, we have just under 3,000 students in our residence halls. That is our normal capacity, you know, with the combination of vaccination and testing. Uh, we felt comfortable going back to normal capacity. Uh, you know, if, if, if uh, past history holds, we will um, either come close to or totally clear the waiting list. So, uh, so so far so good on that on that as well. What about the dining halls? I think I saw something uh, that said that uh, all your dining halls may not be fully open. Um, no, that was I, I think some um, um, I think not not misinformation. It was not intentional, but I think there was a um, a lack of understanding on on what happens on weekends and holidays on campus. We had one dining hall open on the weekend, but all of our dining halls are open today, and they will be uh, during the weekdays throughout the entire semester. And as far as athletics, you know, we heard the decision about no uh, spectators at the games, uh, and then uh, with the decision this morning, you know, announced by the mayor on large gatherings. Yeah, we well, of course, there's a disappointment, but we totally understand and support the mayor, um, we know how uh, strong a supporter this mayor is for UH athletics, uh, in particular football. Um, and so I know it was a difficult decision for him, but we we um, support that decision. The the safety health of our of our fans is number one, and you know we hope that you know through changes in behavior and also vaccinations that we can get the surge under control, uh, bring it back down. And, you know, our first game is is away at UCLA, and then we come home. 
over Labor Day weekend. That one will be without fans, but of course we will hope that uh, you know later in the season, future games, we can have at least some of our fa- our fans back in the stands. And we know things are kind of in a flux. With today's decision, the governor is holding a news conference later this afternoon. We're not real sure, you know, what he'll announce, and I don't know how that's going to affect uh, campuses, you know, across the UH system. Yeah, I don't know that there's going to be much impact here. We, we've really taken a conservative approach, um, even asking students and employees to wear a mask outdoors if they are in close proximity to other people or particularly in a crowd. Um, and I, you know, walking around from early this morning, um, people are wearing masks indoor and outdoors. Uh, so we, we have a very, very... Um, I think conservative approach, and 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 that comes down to the individual behaviors that I'm seeing. Um, so I'm not sure that any additional restrictions. You know what I'm hearing are things like needing to show a proof of vaccination in order to enter a gym or a uh, restaurant or or other events. Um, it, the vast majority of our community are totally vaccinated, so I don't see that affecting affecting us. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Michael Bruno. I appreciate it, Catherine. Thank you. That was UH Manoa Provost uh, Michael Bruno joining us live to talk about the return to the classroom and the big development today with the FDA giving full approval to Pfizer's COVID vaccine. This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your Backyard Quiz. Onihoa, olehua, onihau, okaua, oahu, omolokai, olanai, omau, okaholabe, ohavai. 2021 marks uh, the University of Hawaii's football program's 112th season of competition. So we're testing your knowledge of your local college football team in today's Backyard Quiz. Its current mascot, the Rainbow Warrior, is a a name that fans have known since the mid-70s. Prior to that, the team had gone by just the Rainbows. The story behind that name, in the final game of the 1923 season, a rainbow appeared over the field during a game against Oregon State. After the UH football team beat OSU 7-0, reporters started calling UH teams the Rainbows. Shortly after, the legend says that whenever you, whenever a rainbow appears over the Manoa campus, Hawaii teams could not lose, was born. But for 14 years, prior to being known as the Rainbows, the UH football team went by a different name. The University of Hawaii started out as the College of Hawaii in 1907, and it played its first football game against McKinley High School in 1909. So for today's Backyard Quiz, we want to know the original name of the UH football team from its first game to the legendary Rainbow Game in 1923. Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits offering community-based programs, including vaccinations, to help keep families safe from COVID, such as the Filipino Community Center, nareethawaii.com.
The surge in COVID cases due to the Delta variant prompted State Labor Director Ann Pereira Estacchio to hold off on resuming in-person appointments for those with complicated cases involving unemployment claims. It was supposed to start September 7th. We talked to her earlier this morning about this latest development and whether that will change. We're going to have to now reassess, right, Catherine, to see what, what this means for everyone. Is, are individuals going to move towards getting vaccinated and what it means for us here in, in the state? So, you know, it's easy to, to just say, oh, yes, we're going to reopen. I mean, we were planning this whole time and then we've hit the brakes, right? We stopped reopening and then we'll have to reassess again. There's still a lot to do once you decide you're going to reopen again. And do you have any idea, you know, what percentage of your employees are vaccinated? I don't have a percentage of the employees are vaccinated, but we do know that several individuals will have to start the testing because not everyone is vaccinated. Okay. And then even as far as the employees that might do the face-to-face appointments, any sense about those workers? So the individuals who are doing the face-to-face you know, appointments, if when we move towards that, is a diverse group of individuals. Quite a bit of our employees will then rotate doing face-to-face appointments. So it would be a big percentage of our staff. I see. So you kind of spread it around so it's not just on a few people. Correct. It's it's a very um, taxing job. (laughs) Yes. And so we couldn't leave someone um, to do it on an eight-hour basis. And we're going to be, you know, adjusting so that everyone has an opportunity to provide that service. And that plan, was that something you worked out with the unions? I did consult with the union. That's correct. I did send a consult letter to the union letting them know we were going to be reopening. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, understandably, you know, your system has been overwhelmed and the workers, you know, are concerned because the people that they're dealing with are so frustrated and they probably just want to vent a good deal of the time. That's correct. That's correct. Well, what is the snapshot today as far as our unemployment and our backlog? Our backlog has been cleaned up quite a bit. Of course, we do still have individuals who are waiting. We have new issues being created on a weekly basis. I'm noticing many more of the claims are more recent issues, as well as claims that are moving from what we call our e-claims, which are extended benefit claims, to our brand new initial claims and then back to the e-claim again because they choose the $25 option. But we are seeing that claims are being cleared up and moving forward. Uh, Talk about the unemployment rate that we saw in July. Yes, the unemployment rate went down to 7.3% in July compared to 14.1% in July of 2020. So that unemployment insurance rate is dropping and um, claimants are going back to work. We've been moving towards these telephone appointments now that we're not going to be reopening. Initially, we had telephone and Zoom appointments only for what we considered general unemployment insurance claims, meaning something else was holding up their claims besides an issue that needed to go to what we call a claims examiner. But we are moving and we we have opened up appointments for adjudication section, and that's because we have brought on much more staff than we had in the past, and they have been trained up and they're much more prepared um, to handle these claims by, you know, contacting a claimant and um, addressing their issue with them as well as with the employer. So we have been able to staff up our adjudication section um, quite well. The call center at the Hawaii Convention Center, that is an up and down for us. Um, We bring in anywhere between 80 and 90 um, employees, and then we're back down to about 50, and then we go back up to 60. So it's up and down. We're still continuing to look for individuals to man our call center. The good thing is many of those that were at the call center went to either better jobs or were called back to their job that they were furloughed on during the pandemic. Okay, because a lot of uh, your staff were just redeployed. Correct. Okay. If I were to walk into the convention center today, like what would I see? It's rather big. We now are housed on the first floor, the exhibition hall of the Hawaii Convention Center. We share that space with the city and county who is handling the rent relief program, as well as the Department of Health and some of their contact tracers. It's all proportioned out. 
and we have quite a big space. We have the biggest space there. We have, I'd say, close to 80 or so claims examiners who work on our adjudication issues there, as well as our call center. You know, and as we look back over this year and a half, I mean, who knew that a situation with bed bugs would, you know, provide a hiccup? I mean, what was that like? Right. There is so much that went on in the last year, and um, lots of, um, you know, lots of things we've had to overcome, but the staff has been incredible. They've been able to overcome them. We're continuing to service um, claimants. And we have not stopped working as hard as we possibly can. We're still working on weekends as well as holidays. This past Friday was a holiday, but many of the staff was in, you know, performing the important service that we do for the public. When you had the problem with the bed bugs, you know, you had to halt things and fumigate. Have you had a situation where you have had, let's say, positive cases among the workers or volunteers that you've got uh, over there at the convention center? Yes, we've had um, several positive cases at the convention center as well as our main offices on all islands. We've gotten much better at being able to manage these cases, do our internal contact tracing, and make sure that we tackle the problem before it you know, gets too big for us. And what do you say to families out there who are concerned, you know, maybe they've sent their children to school and, you know, they're trying to follow the, the three-foot spacing, and yet maybe they're frustrated because, you know, they don't see a lot of our state offices open. Yeah, so for the Unemployment Insurance Office and Department of Labor, you know, I'm concerned about the spread of COVID to our staff as well as the community. Social distancing is one of the key methods of preventing the spread of the virus, as we all know. And crowds can be a source of transmission. And so we perform such an important job here at Department of Labor. If we were not able to keep the um, virus contained and it not spread within our department, there's many of us who work very closely together in all of these offices. I want to make sure that we can continue to provide the service that is greatly needed out there in the community. If we were to open to the public, we would be much more exposed because of the social distancing requirements and individuals trying to come into the building. And like you said, you know, during the beginning of this conversation, is that what we're dealing with is not just a couple of people, but crowds of people. And some of them are not very happy. And being able to control those crowds with social distancing would be very difficult. The unemployment rates, you know, I think we're seeing kind of a trend across the country. But, you know, I think we're dead last <laughs> uh, when it comes to bouncing back. Now with this variant, folks are worried what what that might mean for the tourist industry. You know, they see a softening of the numbers, which, uh, you know, some say could be bad or could be good. Uh, how are you looking at that? So we do know that on September 4th here in Hawaii, extended benefits will end. And um, those individuals who do not qualify for what we call a brand new initial claim will have no income coming to them through unemployment insurance. So we are trying to um, look at these groups of individuals that still need help and see how we can navigate um, all of the services here in the state of Hawaii and where we can um, provide them with additional benefits to continue to survive this pandemic. And help us understand what the backlog is like compared to what it was before. Do, do you have any sense? What are the latest numbers? So I don't have any exact numbers for you. I know we've talked several times about how the mainframe doesn't really provide us with the ability to grab um, numbers that we can actually explain and, and make sense of. But we are seeing that claims are being cleaned up. For instance, we have the adjudication system up on our web right now, and we still have many appointments that have not been filled. In the beginning, when we implemented the appointments for the general line, um, we had the appointments, you know, booked solid three weeks in advance. We're still looking at appointments still open for individuals to come in and receive some services from us. So that's a really important point to underscore is you've got time that people can book and it's not three weeks, three months out. Right. In fact, we still have appointments for this Wednesday um, that still have not yet been booked, as well as next week, Monday and next week, Wednesday. 
So we have quite a bit of appointments um, still outstanding that individuals could come on and make an appointment for. I've seen questions from the public, you know, about, okay, if my employer is mandating vaccines and I don't agree, you know, that they could lose their job. And what happens in that case? Are they eligible for unemployment? So just like any other adjudicatable issue, Catherine, determinations are made on a case-by-case basis. And what would happen is they would file a claim. They would show that they were either laid off or they left um, voluntarily. And then we would have to obtain fact-finding to analyze whether the discharge or the removal was a failure to comply with the vaccine requirement is actually misconduct or not, or whether a quit due to a vaccination requirement is for good cause. And so we would obtain fact-finding from both the claimant as well as the employer and make a determination under unemployment law. But it's still another wrinkle that your staff is. is having to deal with. It is. It's another adjudication issue that we will have to start looking at as well. Are you concerned that there may be, I guess, more layoffs if the economy stalls again? You know, I don't know what the future is going to hold. We are hoping that we will start to hold steady. Those who have returned, we're hoping that they will continue to be able to perform services and that there won't be any more furloughs or layoffs. And we'll just have to go from there. There are about 6,000 claimants um, that filed what we call brand new initial claims and can move from their extended benefits to their new initial claim. So we do know we will still have quite a bit of heavy workload here on our end. Uh, Any message you want to underscore for our listeners on the neighbor islands? So this is the first time we're actually going to have appointments by telephone for the neighbor islands as well. And so our general appointment line, which was for the telephone and Zoom, was only for Oahu. But we, as of tomorrow, we will have our appointment lines open to make appointments for the 7th of September for all neighbor islands as well as Oahu. Okay, so we're making progress there servicing the the community. Yes, as well as PUA. So we will also have telephone appointments for the individuals who are on what we call the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program as well. That was State Labor Director Ann Pereira-Estacchio, who we spoke with earlier this morning. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering the Executive MBA, scheidler.hawaii.edu. During the pandemic, so many of us turned to pets for comfort. Animals don't care about COVID. They don't care about if you have a job, if you're, you've worked 12 hours and you're on your 20th Zoom call. They're just like, we love you, we're happy to be home. How will we manage when life returns to maybe normal? I'm Kimberly Atkins-Store. That's on the next On Point. Beginning this afternoon at 2, following the world. Support for HPR comes from ProService Hawaii, whose team is committed to helping businesses overcome the challenges of HR today. ProService.com slash HR experts or by calling 808-207-7634. Consequences of disobeying the vaccine mandate for state lawmakers and why they're unusual compared to other states. That's the subject of today's reality check with Honolulu Civil Beat reporter Blaze Level. Thanks for joining us, Blaze. Hey, morning, Catherine. So, yeah, t- uh, tell us about this. So um, folks might not be familiar with what the the rule is down there at the, at the state capitol. What is it? Well, when the rules came out last week, they were kind of unusual, uh, and not to say that that's a bad thing. It's just that Hawaii's legislature was kind of an outlier in the 
country. Uh, that's something we have found. A lot of state legislatures have resisted to require their members and staff to get vaccinated. Though, <laughs> as you know, some big vaccine news this morning. The FDA gave full authorization for the Pfizer vaccine. And so maybe Hawaii will not be an outlier for too long. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know uh, both houses do things differently, but I had to chuckle when I saw that the deadline was different uh, for the House and the Senate. It is different. So the Senate's requiring uh, everybody to be vaccinated or submit to weekly tests by September 1st. Uh, the House's deadline isn't until September 30th. And uh, myself and another reporter, Cassie Ordonio, we spoke to leadership in both chambers. They said they don't know yet how many of their members and staff are vaccinated. For Senate President Ron Koshy, he said he just hasn't gotten around to asking yet. And the House Speaker said he's waiting until that September 30th deadline to figure out who is vaccinated and who's not. And there is options for members and the staff. Uh, they can't be forced to get vaccinated. Uh, that's what both the leaders tell us. Uh, but they do have the option of getting those weekly tests. Uh, same goes for the staff members. And, you know, I saw that the House Speaker, uh, Scott Psyche, had said that, you know, what, elected officials have to set an example for the rest of the public, right? Yes, he did say that, and uh, it, it might have been in reaction to, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, City uh, Councilwoman Andrea Tupola announced that she wasn't going to get uh, uh, vaccinated. And uh, throughout the pandemic, I, I think this is also common with Psyche, he often wants to position state lawmakers in particular, you know, ahead of the other branches of government. And, you know, this idea of leading by example is something he's brought up repeatedly throughout the pandemic. This is kind of another extension of that. And, you know, as we've found in a way, Hawaii is also leading the nation in this regard. It's kind of odd to see all three branches of government on the same page for once during the pandemic. We haven't really seen that in other states. Right. But they're all Democrats or mostly all Democrats. You know, I spoke to an expert on the mainland who looks into this, and he, and he and others here said, yes, you know, the state is all controlled by Democrats. In, in, in other states that have vaccine mandates, you'll often see lawmakers, uh, Republicans specifically, if their legislature is controlled by Republicans, have got a Democratic governor, you'll see them butting heads over vaccine mandates. Uh, and not the same here, since they're all in you know, the same party. And that's not to say that Democrats can't butt heads, but we're not seeing it on this issue. Uh, another uh, uh, issue that this expert pointed out was that in a lot of these other states, there's been pushback among, among the general population against these kind of vaccine mandates. And politicians, especially local politicians like state lawmakers, uh, they're generally less willing to go against the will of their constituents on issues because they really need as many votes as they can to stay in office. Yeah, but you do go back to, you know, setting an example. I mean, I know, you know, there was a time when uh, a former police chief, Susan Ballard, you know, said that she was uh, on the fence about uh, whether or not to get vaccinated, but she ultimately did uh, to set an example for uh, all of the officers. I mean, yeah, that that, that could be playing another uh, a role in this too, trying to set an example for people. It could be lawmakers trying to set an example for their constituents. Uh, Senate President Ron Kochi pointed to Hawaii's, you, you know, relatively low uh, access to uh, ICU beds and hospital beds. He represents Kauai, where if cases spike there, you know, those hospital beds can quickly fill up. Uh, like he told me, you can't drive from Lehua to Hilo if you want to seek medical attention you, you can't get. And in fact, we're seeing those hospital beds and ICU capacity rise. I just looked at the numbers this morning. We're above the peak we were at the same time last year. And, you know, that's worrying a lot of people in the state. And the consequences for not following um, the mandates? Well, they vary for senators and representatives. It could be uh, discipline all the way up through. Oh, it could be censure. They could be kicked off of committees. Um, they could even be expelled, I think. Uh, it's a little bit different for staff members. Uh, for staff, each individual you know, representative or senator would determine what the correct disciplinary measure is. For okay, and, and no explanation as to why the House is, uh, has a different day? Uh, oh, no okay. idea yet. <laughs> All right, okay. All right, well, thanks so much, Blaze. Thanks. That was reporter Blaze Level with today's reality check. Uh, you can read his story at civilbeat.org.
FDA's decision to give full approval to Pfizer's COVID vaccine comes as employers struggle with how best to deal with testing or vaccine mandates for their customers and their staff. HBR's Casey Harlow joins us to talk about this. Good morning. Morning, Catherine. Yeah, uh, so last week um, we heard from Peter Merriman, chef owner of uh, all those Merriman restaurants, uh, that he's going to be implementing the same kind of vaccine policy that the state and counties are uh, doing and a little bit later in the week he said obviously he's gonna he's anticipating of losing workers but while that is a convenience maybe for him uh, it's not so much maybe for uh, the rest of other restaurants here in Hawaii um, so I reached out to the Hawaii Restaurant Association to see if they're providing any guidelines on this as well and um, heard from Sarah Nguyen, uh, who's a board member and also owner of the Pizza Press in Pearl City. We spoke a little bit about that. And uh, she actually uh, told me that the HRA uh, had a survey uh, that they conducted uh, regarding this issue as well. And this is kind of a breakdown of what she said. 60% came back that on top of staff shortage already, that there's a fear of losing between 30 and 80% of their staff if a mandate was required there's also the concern if there was a mandate for customers showing vaccination. 25% of our restaurateurs, when we did the poll, believe that they would lose between 30 and 40% of the revenue if vaccination mandates required for our guests. And as far as when we did send out the survey, 10% of our members were in support of it. And it kind of goes without saying that restaurants uh, are one of the most impacted industries uh, here in the state because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, obviously, the staffing shortage is a concern and they're losing the employees that they already have. And uh, what she says uh, key members of their staff uh, as well. There's a fear of losing them. Also, there's a, the a couple weeks ago we spoke about um, the rise in uh, food costs and a bunch of other things as well that's affecting restaurants like back rent and things like that. And I know she had mentioned too that, you know, the workers that they do have, they're working longer hours and they're wearing their masks, you know, because they've mandated that uh, for their employees. And, and uh, yeah, you kind of feel for them because, you know, they're, they're working hard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, as a restaurant owner, right, you're trying to make up the losses from the past year, year and a half, uh, where you were shut down or operating at a limited capacity. And um, yes, so Sarah uh, Wynn said that there's obviously the safety protocols, you know, uh, hand sanitizing, temp checks for employees before they come in, a little questionnaire as well uh, if they decide not to uh, get the vaccine uh, and even uh, if they have the vaccine as well. Uh, but yes, uh, the Department of Health held a press conference uh, last week regarding clusters and uh, where um, they're seeing clusters. Uh, Within the latest report, there were 10 clusters, uh, 97 cases uh, tied to restaurants. Uh, now state epidemiologist Sarah Kemble didn't really discuss where these clusters were, uh, and bars were also kind of lumped in with in this report as well. Uh, but she says that they're not really seeing it travel from party to party as far as like guests, but more among uh, staff members. And this is kind of what she had to say last week. It's actually pretty difficult for us to know for sure that transmission took place among different parties at a restaurant because you would have to have people remember and tell you and line up on the right dates in order to put it together to see did it spread from one party to the next. Some of those types of studies have been done and published in the literature, but it's pretty hard to catch that in action. What we hear about again and again is transmission among staff often in the back of the house, more commonly than front of the house. And I think a lot of that has to do with the work setup and just how much space you have to move around in and um, working in hot and crowded conditions. So that's an ongoing theme for restaurants. And that's where I think vaccination could make a huge difference because if you had all of those staff vaccinated, you wouldn't have that likelihood of transmission, even with the more challenging working conditions. And again, that kind of brings us back to the top of you know, employers feeling a little bit uh, worried or concerned about mandating uh, a vaccine policy or having a vaccine policy for their employees as well. Yeah, so we'll see with this uh, full approval of the FDA, whether, uh, you know, employees that may have been uh, 
on the fence might feel a little bit more comfortable then doing that and and uh, just protecting themselves and protecting others. Right. Yeah. So the with the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine earlier today, uh, I'm sure there will be an influx in more people and employees getting uh, the vaccine. But it remains to be seen whether or not businesses actually want to kind of uh, implement something like that as well. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce last week held their uh, little um, meeting with uh, their legal uh, advisors at Torkelson Katz, and uh, they basically uh, found said that 57% of their members of their latest poll aren't planning on having or implementing a COVID-19 uh, vaccine mandate for their employees. So we'll see. Uh, I'll talk to Sherry Menor McNamara later this afternoon, see if that actually has uh, changed because of this FDA approval. Yeah, I was uh, curious, though. I know I was uh, looking online and the uh, the uh, Van Gogh show over at the Hawaii Convention Center, they're requiring proof of vaccinations to the customers who come in to see the show. So, you know, you've got Merriman, who's got restaurants on the different islands, and, you know, he stepped out early to just say, we're going to mandate it. Right. And also restaurants as well are a little bit hesitant uh, having their customers uh, show proof of vaccination, obviously loss of revenues and things like that. But legal advice is there comes the old adage of we reserve the right to refuse service to people so legally they can. Yeah. And the governor's got a news conference this afternoon, uh, I think at two today. So we'll see uh, what he says about the large gatherings. You know, we had the mayor's news conference. So yep, plenty more to come. Yeah. Busy week. Yep. <laughs> but thanks so much, Casey. Thank you. Uh, that was Casey Harlow uh, talking about uh, the full approval of uh, Pfizer's COVID vaccines. Uh, he's been talking to employers ahead to uh, whitepublicradio.org to read his stories. This is The Conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Today, astronomer Christopher Phillips joins HPR's Dave Lawrence to review the mission and the timeline for the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope on Maui. It's scheduled to go online in November. Here's your Monday Stargazer. Stargazer time, or weekly look into the massive universe surrounding our tiny planet and also things we can try and spot in our dark skies. As usual, we are so grateful to have astronomer Christopher Phillips handy, and he's on the line right now. Hey, Chris, welcome back. What's in store this week? Hey, Dave. Good to be back. So this week, stargazers, look out for Jupiter and Saturn in the eastern sky after sunset. The moon this week will begin to wane as we get closer to the weekend. It will become dark enough to see those faint objects in the heavens. And I understand you've got more on a story we've been hearing a lot about in the islands relating to this new solar telescope going online in November. That's right. It's the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope, or DKST, and it will finally begin operations this November after a significant delay due to the ongoing COVID pandemic. The telescope was initially supposed to begin operations last fall, and astronomers and staff of the telescope are eager to achieve this milestone in the coming months. Their target for the first set of observations will be around November 15, and they can hardly wait. And explain how this is kind of a different telescope than the others here in the state, because it's really based on daytime observation. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. Most other telescopes in Hawaii are, of course, observing at night. And the DKST was built to observe our nearest star, the Sun. It is not alone in this mission, however, since there are many solar telescopes around the world, but the DKST is cutting edge, the largest and most powerful of its kind, and it will show us the sun in detail hitherto unseen by humankind. And so is that observing the sun in visible light? Kind of explain. It is, but also it will observe in the near-infrared, too. This will help us see intricate detail on the surface of the sun that is normally hidden from view due to the blinding light of the star. What may also surprise people is that the telescope will use adaptive optics to stabilize the image of the sun, too. This will give us an even deeper scientific insight into the nature of our nearest star. And remind us again what adaptive optics is. Well, it's a 
system that allows us to compensate for distortions in our own atmosphere that distort the images of objects in space. As light from stars and the sun passes through the Earth's atmosphere, it becomes distorted by thermal currents, pressure changes, and moisture. Adaptive optics compensates for these factors. And I imagine there are teams of folks who want to use this and are getting in line now. Oh yeah, it's incredibly popular. In fact, the telescope is oversubscribed in terms of time allocation, which means that only the most promising scientific proposals will be chosen when it comes to getting time on this incredible new telescope. Well, we know as things develop, you'll be passing along the info here on Stargazer. Christopher Phillips, we appreciate it. You're all welcome, Dave. And I'm Dave Lawrence. Catch you next week. And you can find Stargazer at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Stargazer comes from Haleakala Ranch, with a legacy of livestock, conservation, and land stewardship since 1888, working to create, maintain, and preserve open spaces for the Maui community. More at haleakalaranch.com. In today's Backyard Quiz, we were testing your knowledge of uh, University of Hawaii football origins. The school started out as the College of Hawaii in 1907. In 1909, it fielded a football team and played its first game. But for the next 11 years, the team only played local high schools, military, and club teams because of limited travel opportunities. Then in 1920, the school became the University of Hawaii and played its first intercollegiate football game, a loss against the University of Nevada at Mo'ili'ili Field on Christmas Day. UH's first collegiate win came in 1922 against Pomona College. A year later, the team became known as the Rainbows and over the next two years went undefeated, collectively outscoring opponents 606 to 29 over 18 games. In the mid-1970s, after hiring coach Larry Price, UH evolved to become the Rainbow Warriors, the name we're familiar with. But if you're a fountain of UH knowledge or if you were around in the early 1900s, you might know that UH's football team started out as the Fighting Deans, the answer to today's backyard quiz. But no one got that. We stumped you. That is today's trivia question. If you have something to share, write to us at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to enjoy the museum's galleries and outdoor courtyards until 9 p.m. on Friday and Saturday evenings. Admission tickets at honolulumuseum.org. On the next Fresh Air, the songwriter of Schmigadoon, the series that lovingly satirizes musicals of the 40s and early 50s. We meet Cinco Paul, who also co-created and co-wrote the series, which is streaming on Apple TV+. Join us. Beginning this afternoon at 3, following On Point. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Kahala Market by Foodland. Throughout August, offering the shopping experience, It's All Rice, featuring locally made rice finds and rice dishes from cultures near and far. KahalaMKT.com. A couple of weeks ago, Representative Ed Kay sat down with us while he was in town for the August recess. A listener responded to a comment he made about the allocation of military lands in Hawaii. My name is Gary from Kailua. And we seem to have way too much land area on Oahu assigned to military operations, military bases, and what have you. It's to a point where to traverse between Honolulu and Salt Lake, we have military bases in the way. We can only go through that area on the freeway and on Nimitz. And everything else is blocked off. Much of the land is taken up by the military, so we can't go to places like where the Kanyoi Marine Base is located, Scofield Barracks, even Bellows. Bellows seems to me not to be a very necessary base. I used to be a single-engine plane owner. It would be great if that would be a general aviation airfield complete with shops, Hawaiiana activities, 
restaurants and things that locals can enjoy. Anyway, that's my comment. Thanks. And with the uptick in tourists, we reached out to Jessica Lani Rich of the Visitor Aloha Society of Hawaii and found out that Vash has been flooded with calls for help. Uh, this letter came in after that segment. Aloha and mahalo for your continued uh, coverage of our island's up and downs. As far as people on neighbor islands being happy about returning tourists, I'm not sure who your guest has been talking to. People are beyond frustrated with the number of tourists and their continued ignorance of island life and ways, a situation that's being further exacerbated by the overload of tourists in local neighborhoods due to vacation rentals. And that's not to mention the sense that tourists are being kowtowed to while local residents are left to drown and burn under the weight of tourism and an unprecedented flood of transplants, jamming roads, crowding open spaces, and taking up whatever manini bit of housing there was left before the floodgates were open after COVID restrictions. As for theft, my husband's work truck and my car were stolen last week from our driveway. One was seen, the driver thief identified, the police alerted, and still no return of our cars, work tools, or peace of mind. If we were living in one of the high-end subdivisions in South Kohala, you can bet your bottom dollar our vehicles would have been returned long before this. Mahalo and best regards, Janice Palma Glennie. And yes, we hear your frustration. And following last week's segment, where I took a walk through Waikiki with Hawaii Tourism Authority's President and CEO, John DeFries, we heard this. Aloha, this is John Lyle calling from Volcano Village. I just wanted to thank Catherine Cruz and John DeFries for their August uh, 16 conversation in which John passionately articulated the need for a long-term vision for Hawaii tourism going forward. Um, a plan that um, our elected officials, our business community, our schools, all of us play a critical part. It was a wonderful conversation and really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Aloha. And thank you for the feedback. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Reach out via social media on Facebook or Twitter or call our talkback line. 792-8217. And that's it for today. Tomorrow we hear from the Department of Human Services about the latest bump in SNAP benefits. Do you have a story idea to share with us? Call or talk back line 808-792-8217. Miss something and want to listen back to something you heard today? All of our shows are archived. Find them on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. We will be back tomorrow with more of the conversation. <laughs>